Hi, I'm Mark Stoudemire, and welcome to Season 3 of Get to the Joke. I can't wait for you guys to see what I have in store for you this season. 11 new comics, 11 new stories, unbelievable amount of just advice and just vulnerability about the lives of comedians and how that translates to the jokes that you love to hear on stage. Again, all the content this season will be completely free on my YouTube channel. I just ask that you do me just one small favor. Please like and subscribe to my channel. Please rate and review me wherever you review your podcast. I truly appreciate that you guys do that for me. Uh, again, you can also visit me at my website, markstod.com, where you can see all my upcoming show dates or any other content that I put out. Um, again, please leave a comment, like, subscribe to this channel. It means so much to me that you do that. And uh, now without further ado, let's go ahead and get to the joke. We got the election in three weeks. We excited? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Dementia versus demented. Who are we going with? Who are we going with? Interesting. Yeah, let's be real. Joe Biden a little bit, a little bit has diet Alzheimer's. Here's the thing, and it's okay to disagree with people because I'm still voting for him, and if you're not, that's okay. You should be able to hear someone's voting for a candidate that isn't you, and not dislike the person that they say. If you're voting for Donald Trump, I won't dislike you. I don't know why we're now like just hate people for how they vote, but that's where it is. So I'm voting for Biden, whatever. But I'll be honest, all of us people who are voting for Biden, the way we feel about Joe Biden is he's like a car where the check engine light is flashing. <laughs> and we just gotta pretend we don't see that shit. Cause we need it to get us to the finish line of this long shitty road trip that is 2020. It's smoking and sputtering. We're like, I don't see anything. This car's totally fine. This car is totally fine. It's not even the car we wanted. The dealership forced this car upon us for some fucking reason. I like the gay car. I thought the gay car was pretty cool. But they're like, no, you take this old car that has a sexual assault allegation. That's the car for you. Okay, I'll drive it. I don't want to. Because what's the alternative? The alternative right now is one of those Mad Max vehicles with a fucking guitarist like <laughs> That's our alternative, that's how it feels. And that's a fun car to drive. I don't blame you if you want to drive that car four years ago, but. <laughs> 
I don't know, man. All right, welcome back to season three of Get to the Joke. I'm here with an outstanding comic from New York City, Brett Raybould, uh, who will talk to hey, us hey. today about hey, uh, who will talk to us today about his ever-expanding BCU Brett Cinematic Universe, which is amazing. Uh, in 2020, he released his debut comedy special, Brett Raybould Retires from Comedy, which you can view for free on YouTube, and debuted at number one in iTunes comedy charts. Brett is also the only comedian to dub his own special in Mandarin. Uh, after his comedy retirement, he briefly pursued a career in singing and released Brett on Buble, also for purchase. Brett Raybould is also the world's first publicly traded comedian, which we're definitely going to get into. He co-wrote a screenplay called Race the Movie, which is awesome. Uh, he is the host of two podcasts, Oh Dear and Just the Plugs, and is one half of the sketch comedy group Brothers Raybould with his comedian brother Jordan. Brett, welcome to Get to the Joke. Wow, man. It, uh, that's all the time we have. Yeah. <laughs> I want to make sure you, dude, you do so much. We're going to get into it about the fact that I think you can call yourself a comedy salesman, which is, I think, and a very appropriate name that uh, you gave yourself because charlatan you, might be a better <laughs> word, Mark. A charlatan. <laughs> I mean, you, you do so much. You, you're you're always thinking and you're always coming up with new ways of marketing. And that's kind of what the point of this show is, is to really mine out those people who I think are not only brilliant comics, but also brilliant in the way that they brand themselves and really dissect how you do it. But I first want to thank you for coming on to the show. Um, I, I love your special. I love when I met you for the first time with Pedro Gonzalez, who was on our, on our season last season. And then you killed yep. it and you came down and, and, and headlined Hershey. So thanks for doing that. Man, I, well, first off, I appreciate you having me on both of those shows. They were both Great shows. And I remember the one we did with Pedro was uh, like one of my first, if not like my first, like show shows back out of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember like it was weird because for me, I was like, I can't do anything I record on the special like a year ago <laughs> after a pandemic. So it's just like, oh boy, this is not going to be my hottest set, but thanks for the stage time, Mark. <laughs> no, it was awesome, man. It was awesome, dude. I, I like to get to know you a little bit because I really only know you from your act, which is why I'm super impressed by you. But I'd like to get you to know you a little bit deeper. The first thing is I, I would like to know what, if you can give us a little bit of taste of your life growing up. Because when I look at the pedigree of the Raybould family, I see, I see a legal counsel for a U.S. senator, two doctors, uh, and two comics. But to be fair, your brother was a stockbroker before a comic. You're really the only first, really the only first full-time comic. So, give me, give me some perspective into the life of this Raybould family growing up, and then kind of how you kind of charted out your own kind of path into creativity, where other, where your rest of your siblings went into more like, you know, professional, you know, post. Postgraduate more uh, actually contributing to society uh, type true. of things. That's not true. You do you do just as much contribution. Trust me. That's right. That's right. Um, and don't let him forget it. I'm. But um, first off, I appreciate the word pedigree. Thank you so much for the the rabled pedigree. My my siblings are all uh, overachievers. They're all incredibly smart and hardworking. Mm -hmm. And uh, everyone in my family is funny. Um, I think when you have a big, like a pretty big family, the one of the ways you get attention is jokes. Okay. So it becomes like, like very uh, part of the language of our family to like constantly be making fun of each other. Okay. 
the dynamics are interesting because it's like at any moment there can be a grouping of okay. two or three against two or, or there can be just if it's our parents to six on one, just row <laughs> session, like there could be different dynamics and little like factions. Um, but I think uh, as far as background, it was like, you know, raised in uh suburb outside Kansas city, Kansas called Lee wood. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I always like try and explain it to people. Like people assume Kansas is like, it's just immediately country. And you're mm-hmm. like, no, this is like a, you know, a well-to-do suburb. Like yeah. it's like the Connecticut of Kansas, <laughs> which is not comparative to Connecticut because that's Connecticut. And they would yeah. never say we're the nice Kansas <laughs> suburb of Connecticut. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's some of the background. I don't know. Well, no, um, I was, I was six, to... five, uh, 34 inch waist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I wanted to kind of understand like, first of all where are you in the line of these five siblings are you the youngest are you in the middle i know you're by the way i'm so impressed how did you know all that did we talk about it no 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 i do research before all my interviews so no this dude mark you're amazing out of the (laughs) gate you have no one prepares for their podcast like you the fact that you knew that I, i was sitting there going like do you know who nardwar is <laughs> I, I don't have you heard of nardwar oh nardwar not. is this music interviewer who knows is like super good at his job oh okay. and i just i had that moment where i was like damn mark's like <laughs> like you're not like most comics when they're podcasting it's just like kind of they the, every comic is like oh i only oh you know i only read the headline and here yeah. you are fucking learning about correctly my family i'm like this is a it's just appreciated well, what was the question background, well i think yeah. i think you're the reason i do it, i think your background ends up being why you get into comedy and why you are the type of comic you are and i it's when i see something sticks out to me like like oh my gosh he has two siblings are and not that a comic is a lesser profession even though you're trying to make a joke about this at the beginning but when i look at this and i'm thinking i was like wow was there pressure in the raybold household because you went to wake forest <laughs> that's not that's not a bad school to go i mean that's an excellent school so like was there sure. pressure to be super successful in your life i want to know where you ended up in age wise were you the very youngest because i want to see like did you have mm-hmm. all these older siblings who were doing above and because that puts more pressure on you that at that point so I was trying to figure out yeah. what that dynamic was for, for you, Brett, in this household with all these people. My, my mom would pressure me to say that there was no pressure. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, but um, there, I would say it wasn't like pressure, like you better succeed. Mm-hmm. I think my parents were truly great at pushing us, you mm-hmm. know, with a little, a little, a little sprinkle on a pressure, but nothing like nothing. Uh, what's his name? Tito Jackson. Nothing crazy. Yeah. <laughs> not, 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 not. Is that it? Is it Tito Jackson? Well, you're thinking of um, Tito's the son. You're thinking of um, he just died. The dad, the, the daddy, daddy Jackson. Jackson. Yeah, I can't remember his first name. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, my parents weren't like that. They yeah. weren't trying. I am a pedophile though, like Michael. But um, <laughs> uh, what if it came out that I was and now I'm on record and people are like, Mark, you didn't do anything about it. <laughs> you, you fucking I would like the views. Had the chance. This would be where it came out. The views would be great. <laughs> <laughs> you get yeah, you'd get to like tweet like I have the confession. <laughs> oh man. But um 
there was, you know, I think my parents like push us to work hard. They're incredibly hardworking people. Mm-hmm. They've taught us, they teach us the value and the joy of hard work. Mm-hmm. And um, my siblings all channel that into more professional uh, perspectives. I mean, the fact that you knew that even my brother Ryan was uh works for a senator i'm like did we talk about that and i'm like i'm like we talked we talked for a little after the show but you know it's after a show you don't get to like get into it get into it yeah especially when you have another three-hour drive back to the city so Um, yeah exactly and (laughs) well and you and you rejected my sexual advances continue <laughs> um, well, I, well, I, I, I'm wondering, like, um, what was your parents' reaction to you then? Because you left Wake Forest and immediately went in to be a full-time comic. There wasn't like you weren't like your brother who became a stockbroker and then got fired and then became a comic. You ended right. up, you mm-hmm. ended up right going right to comedy. So, what was their reaction when you did a four-year education at a prestigious college and then went, "Hey, I'm being a full-time comic"? What was that dynamic? The so initially after school, I worked at a in a newsroom called Now okay. This. I worked as a like a producer and editor there. Okay, that was yes, my job cool. out of college. Yeah. yeah, so I I didn't like it wasn't like I moved to New York and was like full time comic. I moved to New York and my thinking was like uh, I moved to New York because I was like you know it's among the best cities if not the best city for stand-up yeah it, most states you'll hear it all the time on comics talk about new mm-hmm. york and i was like it's the best place to push myself as a comedian um and so for me uh moving to new york and you know having some stability i was very fortunate mm-hmm. i got that job because mm-hmm. it gave me instant stability and it was mm-hmm. you know a very very solid gig um mm-hmm. Plus, I was doing something creativity adjacent, video editing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say video editing is creative, but sometimes yeah, you're in is. the content churn of a newsroom, mm-hmm. you're, it's less about the creativity and more about the output. Um, Correct. Yeah. But um, yeah, so uh, I did that and then saved up all the money I had from that so that I could uh, stop, quit, and then go pursue stand up more uh, immediately. And uh, after some months being in the red, me and my brother were able to get a little bit of some tours going. And after, you know, you dip into the nest a little bit, but, mm-hmm. um, but eventually, you know, you start making ends meet and, um, going back to my yeah. question, were your parents on board or not on board with, uh, with you doing this? You know what? They are mm-hmm. like supportive, but also, you know, they're always like, you know, there's, you know, just at a certain point. Then that's the thing, Mark. That's yeah. why, like, you know, I, I feel like I'm very lucky to be in a position where I um, was able to scrap out a living. But mm-hmm. I, I'm also not a person who has like a career career. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? In comedy? I challenge you on that because, yes, there are comics who just do stand up comedy, but you do so much more than that. This this bread cinematic universe although you do although you have that as like hey it's like a fun thing to say and it's you know there you you have your hands in many different buckets you're great you're great at marketing you're a great businessman and that's what we're going to talk about too but but sure so i would say you do have a career in comedy um so i would argue that you do have a career i appreciate that but i i mean in terms of like take the pandemic like yeah 
Like a, a living can be taken away more than a career, like a capital C I career. Yeah. I mean, in terms of that, mm-hmm. um, I mean, you know, I'm obviously now exorbitantly wealthy from stand-up, <laughs> so I've been personally enriched to the gills. You know what I do like to think about? That's what yeah. I was thinking the other day, because I, admittedly, I, you know, um, I feel incredibly lucky to be like uh, I just feel incredibly lucky so I, and privileged. So, but I think I've like squandered it. Does that does that make sense? Like I think I've like I you know have you ever heard the saying "born on third base"? I've heard of it, but I don't know what it means. <laughs> born on third base means you're born on third base. You're born with oh, advantages. Oh, okay. And and yeah. I feel like I was born on third base, but somehow got thrown out at first. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I was supposed to be. What the fuck? I, what the fuck? <laughs> well, let's talk about the pandemic then. So the pandemic hits. Obviously, it doesn't affect your other siblings, but you and your brother are affected. Um, is there outreach from your family going, hey, are you thinking twice about doing stand up now that it's been taken away? and your sister's literally pulling 23 hour shifts in a hospital somewhere. I know, like, right? Have, She's have there, infectious. Yeah. Yeah. Have there have there have there been have there been talks during the pandemic where there's been guilt tripping about, hey, the Ray Bulls have steady jobs, steady nine to five jobs, and they, you know, we don't work in CD, you know, wineries of Hershey, you know. For total creeps. Was there pressure when when the pandemic hit to to find non- work in the arts uh, i would say uh you know the unemployment life wasn't that bad I, uh, I guess I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um you know in some ways and yeah. by some i mean many and by <laughs> many i mean all i was got in a better financial position during the pandemic than <laughs> uh before it because you know i wasn't paying any rent i was living Mm -hmm. with different random friends of family Mm -hmm. and uh and at one point an ex-girlfriend um i brett i'm sensing an an, an uncomfortability to to talk about your parents and your career is that is that on purpose or is it just like there's nothing there in that well mark let's just move on to something else or is there you uh what no, there's no oh, okay. discomfort to talk about it. Have you oh, seen okay. any good movies recently? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I truly, uh, they're, my parents are very uh, supportive. I think they mm-hmm. also, my comedy career is like a woman's eggs. There okay. is like, there's a moment where they're mm-hmm. like, you know, maybe you should think about having a family. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're like, they're, I got, I'm like, a, I'm 30. I got like four yeah. or five more years yeah. <laughs> to hopefully get something more gangbusters. Yeah. Um, going and, uh, I'm taking the steps, you know, okay. I'm stacking, I'm a stack of firewood, but, uh, they're very supportive and I think they, uh, recognize the, you know, uh, value of pursuing your dreams and mm-hmm. doing it in a very real driven way and not just like being fuddly duddly. Do you um, feel pressure to make it before you turn like, let's say 40? You know, I kind of do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like a relaxed urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, 
I don't know. I think uh, I used to put a ton of pressure on myself to like be, you know, I envisioned being uh, more successful by age 30 than I am. And uh, perhaps even in a more extravagant way, as you can have. Is that because you had siblings that were extravagantly successful by age 30? And so you thought that (laughs) you would have to do the same thing? Yes, all all of my siblings made the Forbes thirty and into thirty list. <laughs> well, to be fair, I yeah. and these these are unrelated, but I have to be a huge Survivor fan, and I do my research on you and realize oh that God. your sister is so good. Was on Survivor. I remember her saying that because she was on a Tribe, the, the quote unquote Goliath Tribe, her saying that it took gave her perspective because she had growing up, she had so much more you know she, she had so much more than other people did it gave you know oh yeah i mean yeah. yeah the like it's like i said like um and that's something i'm very like direct about part yeah. of the reason like coming from a um like a privileged background take my life for example my mm-hmm. parents put me through almost all of college so mm-hmm. i say that to say pursuing something as rocky or as unstable as Mm stand-up is easier for me having the entrenched advantage of not having college loans yeah now make no mistake that is a ginormous like appreciated thing and make Mm -hmm. no mistake my parents once i after college Mm -hmm. um were like you're done which is i you know i do think that's how it should be even if you come from a family that's worth tens of millions of dollars Mm -hmm. or you know, Jeff Bezos' mm-hmm. kids or whatever, but yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, no, I I sometimes like say that because I you know I'm yeah I'm like proud and like able to scrape things by and out, but also the re- the reality is uh, some people are put in positions that are easier to pursue an artistic thing than others. Mm-hmm. Someone like me, if I had college loans i would not have been able to quit working save up money from when i worked at now this yeah to then dip have a little bit of an estate to dip into yeah um i don't know what my point was i guess just to contextualize and whatever you say you're from yeah i was like how's your question if you could go back in time would you rather pay your own way through college so that you would not feel guilty doing what you're doing now do you feel like you almost owe your parents now because they put you through no nope. oh, okay <laughs> all right <laughs> you know what that reminds me of that reminds you of there's just like and uh no because you know i my belief is i hope to one day put my kids through college if i have yeah. kids and mm-hmm. um that's a that's a ginormous life gift yeah that uh my parents gave for me that not everyone can afford to give their children that and not by virtue of not being freaking amazing parents. It's just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my dad is a doctor and my mom Mm -hmm. worked as like a furniture refurbishment salesman. Um, pretty cool creative job my mom had. (laughs) Um, but, but like, you know, my dad is also insanely cheap and putting his (laughs) kids, five kids through college. Like it's like this, like, the thing I had the privilege of was opportunity, which is the best thing mm-hmm. um, to be privileged about. Not it wasn't really stuff or things or mm-hmm. uh, anything like that. Like they, they would, I had hand me downs my whole life, yeah. but 
I also was able to take guitar lessons and I'll be on a travel soccer team that, yeah. you know, as a microcosmic yeah. example yeah. of. I feel like this privilege plays out. I feel like, and we'll get to this. The privilege plays out, though, in your movie that you're that you've written. The fact that yeah, if you I, came from a different, let's say you came from a different background, from the streets of you know South Compton, maybe you wouldn't come up with race the movie at that point because you came from a different you know set of circumstances. So okay. maybe I mean, if we get into yeah, that movie I co-wrote, yeah. and there's a big update I can tell you on where we're at with that. Yeah. Definitely. Um. Should we just get into that? Is that a good segue? We'll, into... we'll, we'll, no, we'll, we'll touch on it. I like to kind of chronologically go through here, um, yeah. through, through your career here. But uh, no, I definitely have that. Hey, Mark, w- what grade school did I go to? <laughs> <laughs> this interview is over. If you don't know who my third grade art teacher was, you, you lazy I will, bastard. I, I will say I did. I did fanboy a little bit when I realized that your sister's on Survivor because I remember as soon as I saw yes. her name in the season, I was like, oh, I know exactly who that's. Oh, it's definitely like you guys even look alike. Like it's you know it's it's you know it's you know it's crazy that you know not that I would. I mean, there's been like 500 people that played that game, but um, but it's it's awesome. Although I will, I will, I will, I will ask. I will ask this right now. You being the marketed, the mark, the marketing, you know marketing savant that you are did you try to approach your or approach your sister and be like can you wear a brettraybolt.com t-shirt on the show or something on the paint on your oh face my your god <laughs> hilarious missed opportunity man <laughs> absolutely i fucked up uh you go back so so you go to wake forest and this is where you is it is it is it right to say that you discovered comedy at Wake Forest through the comedy troupe, or did you discover stand up as a career prior to that? If this was an option I, for you, you know, I was always my whole life was in love with comedy. Like okay. truly, I grew up in. It's like I said, like the way you could make people. I remember some of like the first big laughs I ever got. Mm-hmm. I can just remember being on road trips with my family to Nebraska in the car, mm-hmm. all seven of us, big suburban. Mm-hmm. and doing an impression of Chris Farley. <laughs> and I remember being like seven or eight years old. Yeah. And I remember just like doing his, cause we had his best of DVDs and mm-hmm. my siblings, you know, who are older than me love to hear me say like Matt Foley, even though <laughs> I was like, you know, like, I don't know. So young and I can, uh, so I always loved comedy, especially like yeah. Jim Carrey movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, I watched so much Conan and uh, in high school, I think my first attempt at writing funny things was I had a, uh, I was on the, in the journalism, uh, the high school newspaper I I was wrote for, and I had like a column. And um, I remember the column was the first time I ever tried to like write funny things. And I tell you what, that thing, you should go back and try and find them because it's just <laughs> some genius next level stuff. <laughs> Do, wait, Making so, fun of the cafeteria food or whatever. <laughs> wait, wait, did you go to school for journalism or did you go to school no, to be like? I thought about yeah. it, um, but I just decided like, I thought about going to J school, but I kind of just decided like, eh, uh, I have a vague interest in business-ish stuff. Wake mm-hmm. Forest is probably the best school I got into. They gave me uh, a little bit of a scholarship, not much. Um, certainly, I had 
I did have like better ones. And I know my dad was like, fuck. <laughs> my mom, my mom literally said, Brett, you go wherever you want. We and we will help you. And my dad was like, uh, what about that one you got uh, almost full right to? <laughs> and I was uh but I chose Wake and comedy uh was where I I would say I really discovered my true love for comedy, like actually doing it at Wake mm-hmm. Forest. They had a college comedy troupe called the Lilting Banshees. Mm-hmm. And um you know, in addition to giving me some amazing uh, friends in college, friends for life, it was a really special place to begin trying to write comedy because, first off, it's the most pure version of writing comedy. It's just writing funny stuff with friends. Yeah. It's like, it's like with, a writer's room for a TV show. People just pitch but, ideas and get yeah. feedback. Yeah. Totally. It was like a writer's room. I and mean, it was like a discipline mm-hmm. to it, doing it a few times a week for writing mm-hmm. sessions that were like three hours long. And my favorites were always when I felt like we were writing just evergreen comedy. That was yeah. just like a sketch that could exist for anybody. You didn't yeah. have to know President Nathan Hatch. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it, and certainly I always, I always hated, and this is like, you know, where my original I would say both sensibility, taste, and maybe even snootiness came from, but I would always hate and vote against sketches that made fun of like frats and sororities on campus. Yeah. Cause I was just like, it's, it was just like, it's the, it's like the wake forest hack, like making a whatever Lambda Kai sucks joke or whatever. It's like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Now, now why, why go into stand-up then? Why not pursue sketch like with SNL, Groundlings, uh, Second City? Why did you go stand-up and not into sketch comedy if that's what you were used to? Yeah, I I don't fully uh, – I guess it's just stand-up. I always truly love stand-up too, and I had done it a few times during college. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know why I was driven to also do stand-up. I think I also had discovered Louis during college. Uh, and I would consider his stand-up and his like perspectives within his stand-up is like very influential for me. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. and yeah. to this day, I'm not afraid to crank it in front of some female coworkers, <laughs> but, um, it, well, it's, no, always, but I think it's funny. It's funny. You can tell somebody's age by what comedian they listen to in college. Like Louie know exactly what years, like me, I'm Dane Cook. Like Dane Cook were the college oh, years for me. Oh, really? Yeah, so you can give you a perspective oh, on how Tell me, I think, do you, do you long, do you get nostalgic for that Wake Forest writer's room? Because that is comedy in its purest form. There's no pressure to make it. Truly, Doesn't yeah. Matter, like, now, now you feel, like you just said, I feel like a relaxer than see. Because now, like, literally, you can get kicked out on your ass if you're not producing content or selling tickets at this point. So do you, do you kind of, like, long for, like, that style of comedy or, or you know, at least at least a big nest egg so that you can shit around and, and figure out jokes, you know, at a, at a less urgent rate and to kind of feel them out more? Do you, is that kind of what you would, like, hope, hopefully re, reenact later in your life? I, I would. Yeah, that is certainly the dream or one mm-hmm. of them is like reenacting and channeling that like that, like warmth and fun in a writer's mm-hmm. room. Mm-hmm. I also think um, that uh, I mean, I, I, I joke, but it's true that like the most people I've ever performed comedy for is still college. 
yeah, like because yeah. we would yeah. uh you know 500 ish 550 seater theater mm-hmm. and i've i've never performed stand up in front of 550 people i've done like maybe like 250 or 300 mm-hmm. but never five so i i peaked in college yeah. is what i'm yeah. saying <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man it's yeah it's, it's it, that's an interesting point it's like uh yeah i but i feel like i feel and um i feel like right now but your level of comedy has grown exponentially well so <laughs> but, i mean but then you leeway force and you become a monologue intern at conan which is which is incredible um i had jake matera on uh last season of this of this of this series and he is he was also a monologue intern so i'm very i'm very interested to compare and contrast experiences with his like can you kind of tell me like all right, so you're in a sketch comedy group at Wake Forest. Now you're writing monologue jokes, a totally different world that, ex- that now exists versus what you're used to. Tell me what that experience was like and what you learned from doing that. And I'll start there. Yeah, I mean, okay. So um, one thing that was cool about being a monologue intern, we actually were not, at least my class was not mm-hmm. in charge of writing the jokes. We were just mm-hmm. in charge of writing the setups. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would read all the news mm-hmm. and then we would write setups that would go to the writers, the monologue joke writers to make jokes off of. They also could write their own setups, of course. Mm-hmm. But so we were like helping find, you know, helping distill news stories and also helping um, uh, find ones that they wouldn't find. Um, but it I was like-, like a truly trend. Yeah. Huh? I was going to say, that's, that sounds, pardon me, that sounds awful that you are coming up with Seth because I'm sure you're like, here's some incredible punchlines. It's like almost like setting the girl up and then a guy comes in and says, thanks, man, I'm going to take her home. You know, it's like one of those things. Like, <laughs> why, like, like, could you, could you, like, what, like, were you, like, were you, Brett, able to also be like, here's some really good punchlines I came up with a setup? Well, I remember, uh, Kind of if you had that relationship with a writer, although they weren't really want to use your jokes uh, because I think technically they could technically be legally sued. <laughs> Granted, that would be a pretty bad fucking faith thing to do as a 19 year old college student <laughs> to be like, you use 10 of my words. You owe me a hundred grand. Um, but um but I remember like telling a, a joke to a writer and him loving it and putting it and it made it into the monologue. Uh, it was something. And uh, I mean, it was like surreal getting to watch my idol every day. I would watch rehearsal and I would just be like, this is so cool. I'm watching the person I watched make comedy the most chew every day on comedy and be so insanely gifted at being funny. Mm-hmm. And it inspired me. And it- Tell me how you being a, a monologue intern where you're writing setups changed how you write comedy even today. Well, I think it's incredibly useful for comics to even be able to write baseline setup punchline jokes. Mm-hmm. I think that's like it's an incredibly good exercise mm-hmm. to because you know the best stand-up jokes. It's like, this is a Chris Rock quote, but he's like, every great stand-up bit has a little bit of Henny Youngman to it. The idea being every great stand-up bit, which should, you know, probably sounds very conversational mixed with performative. Mm -hmm. 
and sounds like natural, like this person is just talking. They're not, but even the, those bits, they have this like beneath it, they could kind of be distilled to a very classic setup punch structure mm-hmm. if they were taken that way. And so I think it's a really useful exercise and I'm, um, I'm really glad I had that experience of watching the machinations of joke writing. Uh, and I think it helped inform me um, writing more absurdist stuff or thinking more outside the box. Cause I had, you know, it was a really cool comedy boot camp, And mm-hmm. I was also 19 at the time. And I remember I had no friends and I couldn't go out with the other interns. Cause they were like, I couldn't get into bars. Mm-hmm. So I would like go home and like, I would actually write the punchlines to my setups and that was like how I spent a lot of my nights. And I remember just walking on the WB lot and I remember just going like, man, I just really just being good at classic joke writing is very useful. What were, what were some of the tips that you learned? Like, can you, can you kind of pull the curtain back and give me some of those tips that you learned through that boot camp? Uh, I mean, I would say it's like, it's the main one is like, uh i mean the write every day was very useful like learning to love writing every day in some form um and i i wouldn't say there's like the you know 10 tips i learned but um i also think you know taking comedy as fun as it is also as a discipline is a really useful like soft lesson <laughs> yeah um Cause I think the best comics love it and we recognize the fun, mm-hmm. but you got to take the craft seriously too. Yeah. If you, uh, you don't want to get your stand up better. And yeah. sometimes I certainly fail on that. Like I don't listen to as many of my old, my sets as I should. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm like doing a joke I've done before and not tweaking anything, mm-hmm. but I know it's not yet good or like, mm-hmm. you know, when it's not, you know, it's like not yet done, done and great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's pretty good. It's got something, but it's not mm-hmm. yet there. So anyway, I failed that, but it's good to learn to <laughs> well, take what, it seriously. Kind of. I would say like the, the, the problem I see a lot with setups is like really wordy. Like when I see it coming up there, I'm like, oh my gosh, this person, this person's setup was way too long and the punchline didn't pay. Like the punchline was not good enough to warrant the minute. So what would they tell you about like mining down a setup? Like was there anything that sticks out to you as far as like, Hey, this is a good example of how to mine something down. Totally. I mean, mm-hmm. that monologue joke writing is the most mm-hmm. high octane, like fatless mm-hmm. style of joke writing. Cause mm-hmm. it's just, it's not like conversational. It's like literally what are the only necessary words and just mm-hmm. give me only those. Yeah. And I, that aspect of writing jokes is very useful because you know word economy is important even if you're a comic who is more conversational there's still an element of like not wasting words that matters yeah yeah i guess that's the thing i always run into is like not knowing which words i can take out like i'm i'm looking at what i wrote and i'm like not sure like hey this needs to be shorter is there something that you do on your end like when you when you sit down and write that you're like okay I wrote this idea, even maybe something this morning that you wrote or from the day before, like, okay, I wrote this. Now I'm going to go in there and, and, and punch up the setup. Is there something that you do that you can let me know that you like know about? I, I mean, like I do feel a sense of, I write less than I used to, but mm-hmm. I, um, 
I do feel like I'm really better at channeling my authentic self and voice more and, you know, keep growing, hopefully growing in that regard than I used to be Mm -hmm. Um, where I actually don't write as much in my notebook. Um, And I do to a degree write on, not even to a degree, I do write on stage. And the reason I, I like always wanted to do that, but I was, you can't really write on stage at like open mics mm-hmm. because it's like the reason you can write on stage with audiences is because they're giving you energy. Mm-hmm. And, and whereas like, so and because you're getting energy, you can feel funny. Yeah. And if you can feel funny, you can probably kind of talk in your more natural voice. Yeah. And that doesn't happen at mics. So, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's like, it's not a fun environment. Mm-hmm. At least, at least, Mike's in New York. I don't know yeah. if like Mike's near you might have actual audience. Like they're kind of small show, like or maybe mm-hmm. big shows in some cases. But mm-hmm. for New York, they're not. Um, okay. So I, uh, I, yeah, I, I try and like take how I would say a funny joke or story to a friend and put that into how I try and say it on stage. Okay, um, so you you try to reenact on stage like you were talking to a friend, and that's how you write. Because I hear comics talk about this all the time. It's like I write on stage, I write on stage. I don't know what that means. Being someone who doesn't write on stage, I don't know what that entails. Because when I when I try to like spur the moment, do something on stage, it's a lot of like my 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 brains, the wheels are spinning. I'm like uh, and then that, and then it starts becoming really wordy because I'm trying to get my thought out. It's not rehearsed. What are some, what are something that you would tell me? Like, what's some advice you would tell me? Like, if I want to write on stage, what's something that you would tell me? To Dude, start doing? This was like the best advice. That's not mine. I mm-hmm. would say like, um, the, what helps me is don't even try. If you're, if you have like a premise or an idea, don't even try to have it be formulated into a joke. Just honestly, say how you felt and what your thoughts are on the thing. Okay. And like, like my brother went and saw Bill Burr a couple months mm-hmm. ago and uh, Bill Burr obviously being un, out of this world, good at standup. Mm-hmm. He noticed Burr is, it feels like he's totally naturally talking and that he's not even trying to ha- tell or have the jokes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's like the, and he could tell even when he was working on stuff, he could, he's just truly talking mm-hmm. and the, the jokes will probably come from something that you're interested in or makes you feel strongly. Okay. Um, so I don't know if that's good advice. No, it's just like, advice. don't even like be fearlessly, truly just be fine with talking about it. Yeah. And cause especially like, dude, you know, you have good stuff in your act. Mm-hmm. So like you're emboldened by the fact that you have an act. So all right. So you talked about this thing for two or three minutes and weren't really connecting, but mm-hmm. assuming you didn't open on that and yeah. uh, you know, had built up some trust, like mm-hmm. got a bit of a leash from the crowd, like, okay, this guy is funny and has jokes. Yeah. Then you can still keep them and then do some shit that might actually work better. Awesome. That's great advice, man. I, I appreciate that. Um, Cool. So I'm sorry. So going, can you give me like an example recently of a joke that you have written in which you had to then edit the setup to make it to, to do your word economy and what you kind of did to it. Do you have to, 
you have an example off the top of your head, or even the joke that you sent me with the, the Joe Biden versus Donald Trump joke. Do you know, like, because that's just a perfectly well-written joke. I can't imagine that came out like that the first time you said it. So, like, what what did you find to be like? Man, that's very nice you say that because yeah. that joke was during filmed, like, I filmed that ver- during the pandemic. And, yeah. like, that actually kind of was, like, the first or one of the only, like, maybe the first or second or third at most times I had done that. Bit. Oh, really? It's, it's so Just well because done. It's one of my favorite political jokes because that, especially when you talk about Trump and then, to a lesser extent, Biden, people people get tense i mean it's getting a little less now that we're a little bit removed from from 2020 but it's like um it's still like it's you know like there's still but you are able to do we're going to really mine that joke out we can start doing that now um but i'm just curious to see like if you have an example something like here's something i wrote dot 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 and then i was like we didn't need this and i cut this out just to give me like an actual real life example of how you edit yeah a setup I, I love to think about like, cause I'm thinking about the current, like some of the more new, the newer mm-hmm. stuff I am working on. And mm-hmm. it's cool to like, I mean, it's certainly cool to have stayed with the bit for many months and go like, mm-hmm. wow, now this is like actually like high octane standup has a lot mm-hmm. of punchlines in it. Whereas before it was one laugh. Uh, yeah. And I just stayed with it and kept telling it and got a line here. Mm-hmm. But um, I can't think of anything off top where I'm like, okay. I, you know, I have this joke about like, it, like um, just jokes where I'm like, I did not need any of that other talking. I think some of it comes from like the longer you do stand up, you're like, I didn't need any of that talking. I mean, <laughs> one thing that comes to mind is i have a story about uh uh big gay ice cream which is an ice cream store Mm -hmm. in new york yeah i might have done that bit on your show yeah i think you Uh, may yeah the one person yeah and um the way i've told that bit before there's just like there's just so much pointless talking about the store the like new york and the ice cream store and yeah. all you need is conservative father coming to new york we wanted ice cream big gay ice cream yeah, was, yeah. was the only place nearby to know okay. like okay i kind of know what the bit's gonna be about but yeah. um well let's let's talk about the joke that you sent me which is the joe biden donald trump joke let's talk about let's just start getting into that because like i said I, when I when the one when I when I booked you when I originally reached out to you a few months ago for the show I was like this is the joke I want to talk about because of all the jokes out there that are political this is my favorite because I saw him do this joke in which Brett just openly states he's liberal in a crowd where there was maybe where liberals were the minority and they love the joke especially how touchy when you talk about Trump or Biden people can get that joke killed in a room with people who probably mostly vote for Donald Trump so. What was the genesis of that joke? Did you write that joke because you were like, I want to write a political joke about Donald Trump? Or did something spark in your head and then that like was like, oh, this is a joke? Where did, what was the, or was another reason I'm not even thinking of? No, I, I think, a, I, honestly, man, that I think that joke kind of largely germinated from, uh, I mean, just the, um, the, and the emotional truth of what it felt like to vote for Joe Biden. Um, and I, 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 even like from my personal life, like I was going through a breakup at the time where, 
a big component of our breakup was from the fact that my uh, parents are conservative and vote conservative. Mm-hmm. And my uh, ex-girlfriend was liberal, very liberal. Yeah. And the type of liberal in which you uh, excommunicate and believe uh, conservatives are just evil or worse. Oh, wow. And so okay. I was very frustrated with... Uh, so my approach to politics is certainly to be able to talk about it in a way that doesn't feel mm-hmm. political. Mm-hmm. You can talk about politics to not be like, okay, this guy's it's like the angle should just be the bit and not the angle. Shouldn't be. I'm trying to do anything with my beliefs at yeah. the same time. I think when you do stand up, I mean, audiences, it's better to be authentic, even if it's a little more challenging because mm-hmm. audiences can tell if you're trying to put on something for them. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I'm for lack of a better term. I mean, I don't th- like to prescribe by conservative liberal because I think there are limiting terms. And yeah, maybe that's an annoying thing to say. Like, I don't like labels. <laughs> But um, I don't know why I said that like Trump. I don't like labels. <laughs> but, um, but uh, you know, I probably do skew more uh, leftist on beliefs. So mm-hmm. you got to be genuine in a conservative room. And I think if it's a great joke and it's honest, mm-hmm. then people will still like it. And that was a joke, especially that time doing it where you really had to do a lot of setup, mm-hmm. just like some brief setup on like the perspective on don't be the type of person who doesn't like someone based off their political beliefs. Yeah. And, um, and I think that. audiences. You're, yeah. I think I say it you because say it I think. Directly. Yeah. Yeah. You say you and I think I needed yeah. to at the time. Like, I think mm-hmm. that was. I, maybe now you're like you said, I think it is chiller, but certainly at the mm-hmm. time that needed, I felt like that needed to be said to just mm-hmm. like almost make it feel like you can relax. Yeah. And if you're not relaxed, it's on you because, yeah. um, and I think that helped like, you know, and I did that bit. I did the one that's online. Like it's, mm-hmm. that's in a conservative room in like rural, I think Virginia. Okay. Um, and I, do that bit in I, and I my philosophy in stand up is do your bits everywhere like yeah. meaning don't like uh you know you can form fit a little bit for the show of yeah. course but don't change like who you are or fundamentally what the joke is yeah because of a room yeah um i have gay jokes that i do in i you know an lgbtq show cuz mm-hmm. i think that it's like you know, kind of like disrespectful not to in a way, because it's yeah. like, yeah, why if it's if it's an if it's a good joke and it's like yeah. clearly well-meaning yeah. and well said and not dickish, then yeah. it'll get a laugh. Like, it's, yeah, it's like the person sitting like an all black room saying, I don't see color. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, of course right. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so tell so tell, but I think I think what makes it a great bit and then thus you a great comic is. You compare it to voting for Joe Biden is like driving a car with a check engine light on. I think what elevates you as a comic and why I have such a respect for what you do and the jokes you tell is there is no other analogy that can be made that's better than that analogy. No other comic that has a joke about voting for Biden is 
to make an analogy better than driving car because everyone's on board. You channel in conservatives because, yes, of course, that's the reason people vote for Biden because it's not Trump. And people who are liberal vote for Biden because it wasn't Trump. So, like, everybody's on board with that analogy. How did you get to that analogy? I Don't tell me it was the first one you came up with. Tell me you had some other crackpot analogy that didn't work, and then tell me how you mined it to get to the, 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 the check engine light. I, you know, a truly, and it sounds annoying maybe, but I think that was my first analogy. Wow. Just because it was like Biden was, it's this weird mix of like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Biden was clearly and is clearly not as fully there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's dude, the dude's 80, the dude's yeah. 80 years old. <laughs> That's crazy. We would not let our grandparents drive at 80. <laughs> like, it's just, it's like, why? I can't believe we don't have age maximums. I cannot believe this is like a side combo. Like, isn't, isn't that absurd? You have an age minimum. You got to be, I think, 35 to be president. 35. Yeah. Yeah. So it should be 35 to 64. But once you're going to retire, you don't get yeah. a fucking be president. You need to be in the prime of your life. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I think that was the first engine. Like, what did you do? Give me all the, give me all the Brett Raybould mind gelling that came up with check engine light. I think it, uh, it just is, uh, you know, something that I've had in my car just now is a constant check engine light. (laughs) And sometimes when you have it and you, you know, don't have all the money, you're like, it'll be fine. Like you just, you just override the check engine light, like, yeah, you're you're bluffing. <laughs> um, and uh, the it, you know, I think the analogy is apt because Biden is a car with the check engine lights flashing. <laughs> like it's like clearly there are signs that this car's not driving as smooth, yeah. but um because Trump was the alternative for some people. You, it was just like pretending there was no check engine light on in the first yeah. place. Now, did so you? I, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupt. Go ahead. No, but but it was a. It was like you know. I think it made me feel more. Uh, not that I'm ever like landed, but it's a. Mm-hmm. It was an aspect of a bit like that made me feel good about myself as a stand-up in terms of like, wow, it was a great bit, and I didn't have all of that written. Mm-hmm. And it stemmed from, it wasn't like I did uh, 200 mics and then got it there. It was like mm-hmm. I channeled kind of more my authentic voice and f- had a good bit out of the gate. And, um, you know, I don't know how like fully relevant it is anymore. So that's why I was just like, oh, I'll just throw that clip out there. Cause yeah. it's, it was during a time period where it's way more relevant. Oh, I think it's amazing. I think it's an amazing joke. Uh, now, did you, were you saying where you're like, were you like voting for Biden is like going on a diet? Voting for Biden, were you playing with other things in your head? Or no, was it, always, it was. Oh, okay. And okay. I think it was like, a, it was a lot of pent up, like hadn't been on stage in a while. So mm-hmm. new ideas you try, maybe you, that new ideas you're trying are stronger. Yeah. Because you may have a lot of new ideas. Yeah. Um, although, you know, writing to stand up during the pandemic was tough because mm-hmm. we weren't accruing as much life experience in a way like, yeah. you know, like 
he was just watching TV and kind of walking yeah. around. Like, I don't know. It's just not as much life. It's um, you say that because I would say, again, it's like a whole new phase of Brett Raybould comedy. Because when I watched your special, which is a great special, I would say, yeah, Brett is a storytelling joke. He has long form stories that are hilarious that he takes on tangents. And, and then, like, sometimes there's callbacks at the end to a story he had told at the beginning. But now you're more into. Like because of the not having those experiences, now you're drawing on more like I guess like I don't know what traditional style stand up jokes or more like set up punch, set up punch kind of jokes. I don't know exactly what I would call that, but would you say that's accurate and fair because they took away your your life pretty much for two years? <laughs> I would say I would say I am uh, working a little more in New York and less on the road, which <laughs> some of the format of that is quicker sets. Okay. And it was something that I'm happy to work on, which is in a weird way, dude, I sometimes this sounds maybe douchey or I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. I actually find it easier to do an hour than eight minutes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, like, like I really, I can like, I, I don't know. I've done an hour a ton and, but eight minutes is hard. Cause you don't have that much time to introduce yourself to them. And, and mm-hmm. sometimes like, stuff you can get into in an hour there are things you can get into either comedically deeper or just like a little bit like you can just like take for example like the shitting in the potty train story yeah. training story yeah. mm-hmm. that, that is a story it's like a six minute story it's really mm-hmm. hard to make it work in like a eight or ten minute set mm-hmm. just because like people need to just like start getting to know you and loosen it up a little and then you can yeah. tell this like kind of stupid silly thing um but like that bit wouldn't like i could never open on that and then it's an eight minute store six minute story so yeah. what i'm gonna have that be my whole set yeah which is incredible i think like most comics struggle with trying to make their bits longer you're struggling with making them shorter because you do have i mean that the potty bit isn't i mean i would say like if there's a joke that you can hang your hat on or a joke that you're remembered for it's the potty joke I think my favorite joke, well, besides the Biden joke, is the cop joke. I think that, and that's even a longer joke where it's just like, you're, there's so much funny packed into this story. And then even a callback to a, to a previous joke or whatever. Um, but I, where, when you're, when you're, when you're writing comedy and you're writing these jokes, how does, tell me how you do that. Either you can talk about the Biden joke because it sounded like that, 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 that kind of, kind of happened and, and you know, kismet or whatever, it just all came together. But like when you're writing a longer joke, like the potty bit or the top bit, tell me how you write something like that because you can get into the trap of being really wordy in a story joke. And that I think it comes from like being very exhaustive with your approach. Like mm-hmm. you want these stories to be hyper punchy. That's like the goal is combining uh hopefully some of the wallop of there can be a more rewarding ending if you have some more setup but Mm -hmm. along the way to that bigger punchier you know wallop of an ending you got to have a lot of punches too Mm -hmm. um and i think being able to do longer sets really helps you not be afraid to stretch out but like keep in mind like we got to keep being hopefully funny and interesting Mm -hmm. um and i always feel like the the real toil of stand-up is 
it's not, I, I kind of feel like it's not writing kind of funny stuff. I, I don't think writing kind of funny stuff's that hard. Mm-hmm. I think the work of stand-up is staying with a bit and keep working at it and squeezing as many laughs out of it as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that potty training story is like, oh, wow. Like by the end of all of those kind of like years working on it, there was just a, there's a ton of laugh lines. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the toil of standup is trying to take, not just writing something pretty good, but taking pretty good, staying with it till hopefully you get it to, you know, a, a great, like, wow, really great level. Yeah. Um, now, are you writing a joke like that more out more often? Or are you working that on stage? Because you said, I work jokes out on stage because it gives my authentic voice. I can tell you my response to something like an opinion or an issue. But when it's a story, it doesn't really your 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 opinion on it doesn't matter it's a story so are you writing yeah. that down more or are you still working that on yes. stage that that was like a that was in an era where i was writing more um and you know if you ever improvised a funny line it was like okay keep that like yeah. i need to make sure i say that again because that was good to get a big laugh here mm-hmm. um and uh so that was but that was like largely written written yeah and uh a lot of like trial and error of like all right wrote that well that angle or take or joke bombed so toss see if this one will oh i got a good laugh okay that stays Mm -hmm. people are always like is it hard to memorize material i'm like i don't know if you should ever like memorize Mm -hmm. and it's never hard to memorize something that gets the great laugh yeah yeah <laughs> you ever notice that is yeah. or to like remember the idea if it's something yeah. that when you tell it it frequently does well mm-hmm. you're like some reason it flows for me naturally yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but if it's something that's not doing well i would it is more memory centric but how do you write punchlines for that body joke because the joke could have i mean it's a funny story like yeah, Brett shit in a, in a toilet, and then it shit in his like his nephew's to- his nephew's toilet. But like to get that where it's a bit, because that I mean, you know, you could tell that story at a bar, and it wouldn't be as funny as the way you tout in a stand-up act. Because it, there's a difference sure. between telling a story at a bar versus telling it on stage to a captive audience. So tell me how you write a joke like that, so it's not because you say like, hey, I, I try to have a conversation on stage with a friend. But you can't really because then it, you know, it's a different or, you know, and that, well, that relates. Music. Yeah. Yeah. That relates to what we're talking about, like about like making your bits high octane, like yeah. stand up. That's like a high octane. Like mm-hmm. I've worked at the story yeah. to get it where I know all the beats and I know mm-hmm. there are laughs here. Yeah. So I don't have to like. You know, so that's not like the way you would tell with a friend is like, yeah, you could be way looser and but mm-hmm. this isn't a bunch of people looking at you. So um that one was just like a lot of it's just like a lot of trial and error on like trying new tags. And because mm-hmm. as you can guess, that story is very much there's a lot of it that's fabricated uh, <laughs> for the sake of comedy. Oh, I mean, yeah. the the bones of it are true, but mm-hmm you you know have artistic license to make the story more narratively interesting than yeah i took a shit in my brother's toilet he thought it was mine yeah uh his son was thought it was crazy hey you know what i mean like yeah it's just so i, I don't know and that, but that's what i'm talking about that yeah. stand-up is the act of 
But when I first told that story, which it became mm-hmm. a six minute bit, mm-hmm. the first time I told it, it was probably just uh, I took a shit in a potty training toilet and I went up to my brother and later in the day he goes, dude, you're never going to believe how big of a shit <laughs> my son took. Like, OK, there's one laugh. And then yeah. what else happened or what else like, you know, what did transpire and how do I mix what trans the truth of what transpired with the you know uh truth of finding fun like just mm-hmm. like the 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 like willingness to take artistic leaps for yeah. entertainment yeah, sending it to your father and yeah sending the picture to your father but how do right you, but how do you come up with that stuff how do you know not to end the bit right after the reveal to your brother that it was your shit, not your nephew's shit. How do you know to keep going where you're bringing in your father and now the, now the your sister-in-law but, is now included? Like, how do you start working that out? Like, wh- what are you that, doing? Are you yeah. mapping it out like on a piece of paper, like trying to bring in characters or what are you doing? I think that's what's great about stand-up is like, you can see if it's the end of a bit. Mm-hmm. And then people tell you it's not because mm-hmm. audiences proofread, right? They're mm-hmm. they're there to like their laughs confirm that mm-hmm. you you have something, and yeah. that's what I love about stand up. Is unlike mm-hmm. other artistic pursuits, which are how do you fucking know if something's good? You yeah. you have a little bit more of an idea with stand up because you're like, well, I've done the idea a ton for audiences, and it typically it's a great or great response or good response so Mm -hmm. they're the ones who you know not all these crowds are fucking idiots yeah Um, so would you would you say if you're telling a bit on stage it's relatively in its infancy and it's just hitting you don't stop you're like all right it's hitting i gotta expand on it is that something you do Okay. My first thought is, how can I make this more? And I sometimes okay. that one can can come more naturally. But mm-hmm. I've had bits that I'm like, man, I want to do more with this, but I I struggle mm-hmm. at finding the more. I struggle at building on the idea. I mean, but, even one right now. You yeah. want to share an example? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please, that'd be awesome. And and I I, I remember you had a great bit on serial killers, and so I, <laughs> I had a joke on serial killers that I didn't do at your show because I was like. I think Mark already had a great joke about him and it would feel like repetitive to even just as the topic, it's like we love serial killers, mm-hmm. but you know who we hate mass murderers. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the joke is like, they both kill a lot of people. The difference is if you do it all at once, we're like, go to hell. But if you space it out, we're like, who's this fella, <laughs> you know, who's this quirky son of a gun. So that's like the, the joke. That's like, I've tried so hard to build on that dude. Yeah. I can't, I've tried angles on like, you know, I guess it's might just be repetitive, but like 20 deaths in an afternoon. Yeah. Tragedy 20 deaths over two decades, Netflix series. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, I've tried like, and, it, and I've tried that and it gets like a chuckle, but it's, yeah. it's almost like this, like after chuckle that. Yeah. It's like a lesser laugh than the initial punchline. So I'm like, yeah. why say that? Yeah. Cause then I don't, I can't think of anything. And then I'm like, should I just try and think of another serial killer joke yeah. or observation? Um, and yeah. I, it's been, a, it's kind of been frustrating because I want to have more than just that one 
you know, one joke about serial killers, but I can't really yeah. think of it. Well, the, it, it, that's a great, I'm thinking when you're saying that it's the, a, a comic's job. And so I'm going to relate the political joke and I'm going to relate your serial killer joke. A comic's job is to articulate something like something, you know, um, divisive or something um, dark you know, or weird. Uh, yeah, something like that, where um, and articulate it funny that everybody understands it right away. Which is why when you say Biden's like voting, with, voting for Biden's like Trump or like everyone immediately relates to it right away. You know, what I mean, the pressure is off because everyone's laughing. If I if you say I, I vote for Biden because Trump's a piece of shit, everyone's gonna be like, well, now the moon, the river's a lot tenser. But your job was to alleviate the tension. With the serial killer bit, the comics job is to. I'm trying to make a point that's intellectual what you're doing, but there's like this fine line between I don't need the eye to think about it too much. It has to be, it has to be when I say it, it has to be it, like, that's why when you talk about Louie being so good, when he talks yeah. about, oh, you saw his most recent specials of Sorry, Easy Sorry, they just came out with. Dude, I saw it, dude. I, uh, it makes it watching it made me go like, This is why I love stand up. Yeah. Well, like I said, like when he makes the point about pedophiles and he's like, Sex dolls, children's sex dolls, like immediately right away, everybody's on, like everybody knows what he's talking about. And it's funny where it's like, But like you don't, if he came up something where you had to think about it a little too much, then the joke stops. It's like, How do you keep the audience from thinking about it? It has to be like right on the, you know, right. It's in their the, face it's that. It's got to be like right there, but they can't see it. Like Correct. you have to have done the setup where it's like, it's so when it, a great joke will like, it's, it's like kind of like a, a, a great movie in that, like mm-hmm. a great movie is like, I did not see that coming. And yet it was made perfect sense. Yeah. That's why everybody works right? like, off the sixth sense is because the entire time the clues were there that Bruce Willis was dead, but like, it wasn't like it, they had to explain it at the end. Like it was in your face. Like you could see it. But you need the ending to tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. And in a more microcosmic way, I think jokes are like a degree of that where like the breadcrumbs are all there. Mm-hmm. So that when the punchline gets delivered, you're not su- you're surprised, but you're not uh it, it may it, you know how they got there. Yeah. Like you, the audience's brain needs to be able to make the leap. Yeah. Whatever the leap is. If the leap is too great, mm-hmm. then it'll bomb. And if the leap mm-hmm. is too short too small then it'll bomb because they're like yeah we thought of that you know what i mean they're like you didn't do you didn't surprise me with something i didn't think of but i can get yeah um yeah but and i can see where like when you say like i struggle with that like obviously like i i i i i understand what you're saying but you struggle but then you also achieve it because when i'm watching brett rayball versus comedy I'm understanding your joke. So whatever it was during that process, I I went there with you. When the co- you know when you talk you know when the cops at the car and that's when you're a comic and then you know later he's like reciting a joke and you you know you're I'm following the story with you. So like you're obviously making these leaps more narrow for me to understand because I was not there with you. I was not there when you got pulled over. I was in the convenience store when the cops showed up. But you're doing yeah. a good enough job to give me the visual in a way that's not like bore, like boring or whatever. So tell me how you kind of do that. How do you keep the audience engaged through a joke like that? I mean, I think uh, I, and it's something I want to get better on is like 
funny description, I think, is a big thing. I think comics have a lot of weapons at our disposal. And sometimes I think New York comics, there's so stand-up is it's a spoken medium. So you can dip into so many different ways of being hopefully, you know, compelling or interesting. Mm-hmm. The jokes themselves, straight up, the written material. Mm-hmm. There's also tone of voice, uh, mm-hmm. cadence. Uh, I would say if you're doing an inch, a different voice, like mm-hmm. just straight up doing a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, hopefully when you're telling a story, you're combining all these different like instruments at your yeah. disposable. You're pacing, yeah. you know, how saying a bunch of things really quickly and then going deliberately slow for others mm-hmm. like there's all the, so like each of them are different instruments and i think a great stand-up bit or story mm-hmm. like especially like a story is gonna try and do a lot of them yeah um because i mean that's what you watch louis it's like this guy yeah. is a fucking symphony of how good he is at every instrument that at his disposal as a comedian he does yeah um, so I think that the cop bit, I, you know, I hope I have, you know, a good mix of changing the pacing and doing some voices. I mean, if it calls for it, I'm not, don't just throw in a funny voice if, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, it. yeah. it'd be weird if, yeah, yeah, you're, <laughs> I don't know. The bank teller was like, thank you. Come again. And uh, it wasn't, it wasn't even Indian. He was just a white guy. And I, you just did a rude attempt at a funny voice. And it was an Indian voice, a stereotypical one. And But you're like, no, but it's funny voice. It's like, yeah, yeah but it made no fucking sense to you, idiot. Oh, man, that's funny. That's funny. Um, I, I've got Rory at 10 o'clock. And oh, my gosh, we don't have, we're going to have a part two or something like that. Because we even talked about business side of everything i do want to ask you when you said like hey i'm really trying to find my authentic voice i hear this all the time. this is the most cliche term in comedy is like you need to find your voice you need to find your voice what the fuck does that mean finding your voice because when you're on stage bright if i you know like how is that i mean unless you're playing a character or unless you're just doing material that you're adamantly against for cheap laughs like what does that mean like what brett what is your voice tell me Man, I don't know, but I think like my voice, it's not like I'm like, well, I am the uh, enraged intellectual. Like, no, Mm -hmm. I think that I think your voice just means being able to channel the emotional truth of the joke and like being just more authentic about how you feel about things. And I'm really proud of my hour special. I think it's very good. I really do. Yeah. But I also think. Thank you, man. But I also think like I can be more authentic. I can lie less for the sake Mm -hmm. of a bit Mm -hmm. than I did in that special. Not that there's not going to be allowances we take and because of course, but I just think it's like, can can I give this audience a better idea of like how I feel about shit? Mm -hmm. Not just um, here's some funny stuff because yeah. uh you know i think it's best when an audience feels like they all oh, like not only do they hopefully like your bits but also like oh no kind of what you're about mm-hmm. um and uh i think that's like what you're swimming toward with voice and i think every bit is a degree of like like it's not like you go like what is the brett rabel take on yeah. Yeah. street lamps or whatever yeah. like that would yeah. be crazy i i just think it's like the way you would 
I still feel like I can be better, but I think I am better than I used to be at. Sometimes I feel like I say a lot of funny or slightly interesting mm-hmm. things to friends in conversation. Mm-hmm. And I could would find myself never putting that in my act. Mm-hmm. And why not? Like, yeah. why not that this person, when I, when I think at the times I am saying something, you know, more interesting to a friend, uh, why not have those thoughts and trying to find a space for those in your act while also not uh, being like, We'll also go on. Yeah, but I need the fucking jokes. Yeah. yeah <laughs> At the well, end of the day, that's what it's say, about. Would you say that the lying is like a crutch that comics use? Because are you saying like the reason I don't tell jokes that I talk to my friends with is because I'm afraid people won't get me and then I'm super yes. vulnerable on stage? Yes. I'm afraid this idea, which might mm-hmm. be slightly headier or just mm-hmm. not as direct and simple. Yeah audiences won't get it and they won't like it. So why even try it? And getting over that fear and going, well, you know what? It's kind of who I am and what I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to stay with this idea Mm -hmm. at least for longer. Of course, Mm -hmm. if you've tried a lot and boy, you're gotten and got nothing. Mm -hmm. Don't be the type of idiot comedian who's like, yeah, but like, it's me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, and in that case, it'd be like, yeah, but where are the jokes? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, um, So, So, yeah, I don't know. So your dream would be, in addition to doing your comedy troupe in Wake Forest, would be that if I were- Two chicks at the same time. (laughs) Go on. If I were to ask- if I were to ask the audience after one of your shows, tell me who you who is Brett Raybould, that they would be like that, that it would be damn close to who you actually are. That they would be like, he's a guy who's just passionate, and he's kind of goofy, but he means well. You know, like you would. Yeah, would be, I would. Ho- okay. I would hope. And okay. I, I, I'm sure some audiences, you know, yeah. especially so, like he's a big cons- lib who really cares about. You know, you want to like. like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's a snowflake libtard who. Um, and I would go, I'm not a libtard. I'm just a retard. Um, now I, I want to talk about Brett Raybould retires from comedy for a little bit, because I, I knew you when you show up the Pedro thing and, and he was like, this is Brett Raybould's like, wait a minute. I know this name. I know who the, I just, he looks, I know his name and I forget it might have been Pedro that shared your special on Facebook saying like, Hey, check out my buddy. He, this is awesome. And I was like, um, and I, you allude to this, which is like it's on YouTube, so I'm more inclined to watch it because it's free, versus going and paying Amazon Prime the four the four twenty nine or whatever to watch a special on you know. So like, tell me, tell me why you thought I think you were like ten years in the comedy when you came out with it. Yeah, maybe like seven, seven, seven. six and a half, seven. Yeah, six and a half, seven. What made you? feel that like i need to come out with i need to film a special because you didn't even tell the audience it's a special the everyone was unaware besides besides all the the movers and shakers behind the scenes or whatever everyone else had no idea that that it was being filmed so tell me why yes why not let the audience know and then why do it why not let the audience know is i didn't want any i wanted to feel like i earned every laugh in the most true way that night Okay. And sure. I didn't want any amount of the audience participating in making it a better show. Oh, okay. My hope was to make it truly as good mm-hmm. as I could and earn the laughs and not mm-hmm. be like, yeah, but give me a little more juice if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, 
so that was why I went there. I also thought it would be, you know, I only did one show like for the taping. Mm-hmm. I only taped one and it's a higher stakes position. Cause you're like, if you know, I don't catch it tonight or maybe it's just not a hot crowd and they're not mm-hmm. into me. Like, fuck, mm-hmm. imagine spending $1,800 on renting cameras yeah. to just film myself bombing for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I also wanted to be one show because I wanted to be a bigger one. I wanted the laughs to sound bigger mm-hmm. on the album. But like, you know, I could sell. I was surprised I sold the venue out because I'm not a yeah. drawer name. Mm-hmm. Um, but I figured if I did one, I could pack one out rather than filming two and having like 40 or 50 mm-hmm. at each. Maybe mm-hmm. it's better to have one. And I think mm-hmm. I had 140, mm-hmm. but, um, but why did I film it? I felt like I had worked on that hour of material for several years on the road mm-hmm. and I didn't want to wait on opportunities. And, uh, I thought I had a good hour to do and, I had a unique comedy concept, which Mm -hmm. is the retire from comedy. Yeah. uh, You know, I retired from comedy briefly. Unique Um, concept or marketing tool? Which one? uh, I will tell you what. The concept came from the comedy concept. I had recorded this Bread on Buble album. Mm -hmm. And... uh, I had already had it like my brother, like that stemmed from my brother and I just like singing Buble in the car yeah. and just laughing. Yeah. And um, then I was like, I think it'd be really funny to tell people I was retiring from comedy and then that I was going to pursue a career in jazz. Yeah. And then release a jazz album called Bread on Buble. <laughs> just <laughs> as far as like, I just thought it would be, that would be funny. Yeah. And it just turns out the mm-hmm. Brett Rail retires from comedy is like, oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Like, I could get people who didn't give a fuck yeah. about me because why yeah. would they and to then, come to the show? You're a young guy, too. You're also not 60 years old. Like, you see this 20 something, you know. Right, like, right. What the hell's going on? Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Why is he giving in? Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I think it did absolutely help me on the marketing because. Mm-hmm. Even people who didn't know me or care were like, I don't know this guy, but I'll see anyone's final show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I need to, I need to ask, and this is not on my, this was not a question I was going to ask you, but you were talking about this. You're like, the, you were talking about thinning voice and you're like, even on my special, I wish I was, you know, more authentic. Did you feel pressure to come out and do a special? This whole thing back to pressure, like the, the, the Mr. Or Mrs. Raybould pressuring from when you were a kid, did you feel pressure to come out with something like hey my sister just got done filming survivor she's a she's a name now like did i you know like my brother is you know a freaking the, the go-to legal guy for a senator I'm not sure what senator but like i mean it could be a senator who desperately needs it but you know like I, like is it is this <laughs> was this your way of being like hey i'm doing stuff too i'm putting out what out there too like their names are popping up everywhere now brett raybull's name starts popping up everywhere is that was uh, that it, it was it wasn't uh it okay. was truly like i felt like you know what i think i'm ready and i wanted to i think i was ready and it's the mm-hmm. mix of like you're ready and you're not ready like mm-hmm. you know like you're as ready as you'll ever be and you can always justify not being ready because wow mm-hmm. i could make the material maybe even a little bit better if i spent more mm-hmm. time on it but also part of the fun of making stuff is like well that's what it was that night. And that's what yeah. it is. 
Okay. Um, so it, it, it was, there wasn't any like pressure on like, Oh yeah, my sister, the, by the way, my sister being on survivor, she made it to the final five. I know. And <laughs> I know. Yeah. And you know, what's funny, Mark, you know, it's funny yeah. because she made it that far. She made it past family visits where a family member comes to the Island. Yeah. Your mom and came, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's like a long running joke in our family that uh, both my mom and sister made it, made, got a TV credit before me <laughs> and they weren't even trying. <laughs> um, but tell, like, um, tell, no, I have to ask this too. I, I watched a special again for the third time. I, the, the, oh man. For this show. Um, there are advertisements like crazy at 60,000 views. How much money are you making? Give me, give, give everyone a reference point for a special that hit 60,000 views. How much money has Brett Rabel made from this special for you do? Sure. So the, the most money, and this maybe just helps people you know, think comedy, but the money I got, I actually turned down a couple scant offers I got from some mm-hmm. streaming platforms. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Because it wasn't, the money wasn't that good. And they're not like big platform. It wasn't like Netflix, mm-hmm. but um there or like with a comedy distributor i was like Mm -hmm. there's no it's better for me to own it so from youtube i've gotten pretty much like no revenue oh really um you know they advertise i mean there's like advertisements galore on your special oh really really yeah (laughs) yeah there's so much advertisements on your special probably skip that skip that (laughs) yeah yeah I got to figure out how to turn that off. You know what? <laughs> I don't even think I get the money from it because I use a song in the credits of an artist I love. Uh, and I think he gets the money from it. Oh, um, and, uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I've made money from TikTok from the clips. Okay. Um, around like 1500 from that. And, the um, album playing on Series XM can net a comedian, um, you know, uh, uh, a decent chunk of change. Nothing I've insane. Heard that. I don't know. I don't know if it's I should say part. on air, but uh, people talk about that. Sure. that serious is where you where you want to go. So tell me, what are we looking at? Totally. Yeah. So like for me personally, I I get anywhere from like five to I the most I've gotten is like eighteen hundred in a month. Nice. Um, from music the 1800 i think was the first month where yeah. Sirius played it you know a few times in a row that's awesome good for you uh, man. which was great so yeah. you know any comic out there it's like you know it's it's very useful to have your album um it, it felt good because it also made me feel like a sense of credibility as far yeah. as i'm not just a guy who's done stand-up i'm like here's something i actually made and yeah. um yeah, yeah, the there's just something you can actually point yeah. to. Well, I mean, yeah. I hope you are proud of the special. It's an A plus special. I mean, it was better than 70% of the shit that came out on Netflix that year. So um thank you. I would <laughs> say 85. <laughs> now tell me, how do you even get it on serious? That was a very distinct, that was a very distinct percentage. I, I, yeah, 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 no, like 81%. Now, how do you get on serious? You don't have an agent. Did you submit it on your own right? Or how do you even get it on the series? Did you know somebody? The the even... label, um uh you the comedy album. The, the the album was on a label. Um you, the label's called oh, You Lucky Dog Productions. Okay, yes. the, yeah. Oh, okay. So there, yeah, my, my label helped. They can't get it on serious. They can just apply help. Yeah. Apply. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I'm sure anyone can send a cold email, mm-hmm. but 
like everything, if it comes from a trusted source, they're more likely yeah. to give it an ear. Okay. And they gave an ear and liked it and, you know, play it and they should yeah. play it more because, you know, in fact, <laughs> if anyone's were. listening, email, go to Sirius XM Comedy, just email them. Hey, can we give more Brett Ravel? Yeah, oh, I'm sure they love it because they're longer bits. I'm sure like they're longer bits. I'm sure it's, it's, it's more appealing to them to have it on there as well. Versus like in some ways, like, because think about the, they pay you 500 for a nine minute bid. Think about the 500 they got paid for a two minute bid. You know, you know, how many artists it, that's exactly right. They, yeah. I think they pay per play. Yeah. So, in a way, if it's like a good six minute bid, they're like, yeah. hey, that's a cheaper for us than yeah. <laughs> three two minute bits. Exactly. Like, okay. Um, I in a friend. Uh, co-wrote a movie and uh, came movie. up briefly raced yeah. the movie and uh it's a slapstick spoof movie mm-hmm. of all of the oscar bait race movies <laughs> so what uh scary movie was to horror this is yeah. to white savior slash prestige race movies okay. uh it makes fun of green book and figures the help black panther <laughs> get out 12 yeah. years a slave and django among others yeah, its original title was "Not Another Slave Movie." So, <laughs> my really co-writer like is not a honky like myself. Yeah, I actually really like the, the other one, the other title of "Another Slave Movie." It's well, see, I really, yeah. The way you pitched it on our podcast was it was like the blazing sounds of the two thousand, like two thousand twenty. And but I think that's more of the scary movie, like the kind of like the spoofing of things. Not, oh yeah, or is it a mix? I, I would I truly, I think it's like a mix. I mean, okay. I think um, one of the, the contest we won with it had, you know, a compliment that meant a lot to me and it made me feel like it was seen and understood. Mm-hmm. And they called it uh, Mel Brooks for the modern era. Okay. And uh, that was what we're really wanting to do is bring back slapstick, a mm-hmm. form of comedy we do not see in movies anymore for some mm-hmm. reason. <laughs> and I think, think doing slapstick about a subject that people don't think you can be funny about is something that would really resonate with people. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of artistic risk aversion Mm -hmm. and I don't think great art comes from averting risk. I think great art comes from going into risky territories and hopefully being good enough that you came out with gold, but there's still an admirer, uh, admiration for just going into the risky territory, of course, with well-meaning, you know, uh, creative thought and like intellectual curiosity, not just being like, mm-hmm. I'm going to be risky. Let me just be a dick and, and say some offensive shit. And ah, it's <laughs> risky. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but if you go into risky thought, like, you know, I think you can have, maybe the laughs can be bigger or deeper. Yeah. Um, and, um, we uh yeah you mentioned blazing saddles and that's one of my favorite comedies of all time and yes i all the time here's our frustration Mm -hmm. everyone says you cannot make blazing saddles these days Mm -hmm. then one breath later they will say but also it's like one of the best comedies of all time (laughs) so you go why can't you why not why Mm -hmm. are we letting a um fear of certain words existing in art mm-hmm. uh not exist 
even though we know that the art is effectively using him. And the mm-hmm. art is, though it's a silly comedy, it's still mm-hmm. reflecting a very real aspect of America. Yeah. Which is its problems with racism. Race. Exactly. And it's not like racism is funny. Yeah. Because it's not in life, but you it's can the deni- filter. The denying of racism. Yeah. 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 The denying of racism can be funny yeah. and filtering like racism, which, which is just stupidity. That's what mm-hmm. racism is. It's a form of stupidity, mm-hmm. which stupidity is funny. So mm-hmm. when you can laugh at, you know, I think you can laugh at uh, racist characters and yeah. um, if, you know, hopefully manage yeah. well. And I think my friend Chris and I did manage it well. And the thing I wanted to share with you, yeah, share. please share um, the update. The update is, um, and I hope if anyone's listening, I hope they check it out. I don't know when this will come out, but mm-hmm. we spent a year trying to get it made into a movie and sending mm-hmm. it to all a bunch of, you know, producers and agents and all mm-hmm. of that. And uh, after a year of getting really positive feedback, but kind of an unwillingness to move forward with the project mm-hmm. because of A, our lack of name and B, a fear of, how people would perceive just doing yeah. a comedy about yeah, this, kind of, regardless kind of, of how it was done. Yeah. Kind of your point. They find it funny, but because it's about race, even the studios are like, ah, you know, but like, which, and that's, and that's where I go. Be the fact that you find it funny is proof yeah. that it works mm-hmm. because it would not like, it would mm-hmm. not, if you didn't find it funny, that would be proof that the comedy, mm-hmm. like, that it doesn't work, that maybe there is something that feels yeah. uh, off or yeah. or a joke that, you know, oh, that is like a joke you got to think about. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that it's about perfect and no one could be offended at anything because who knows. But the point is, we have showed it to a lot of friends and who are like woke. Yeah. And they're like, even for them, it's above board. So my update is after a year of that. We've decided, um, what are we doing? We want to make this. How can we make it? We'll do it as a play. So we decided, we adapted it into a play called Race the Movie, the Play. And, <laughs> Race the Movie, the Play. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we're moving forward with it. We had a read-through last week. Nice. We're going to be launching a Kickstarter within the next uh, couple, depending on when this comes out. Wait, this will come um, out probably in April and May, so please share the Kickstarter link with me. I will definitely include it. In oh, okay, cool. Notes. Our Kickstarter, I think we're going to do early March. Okay. But don't don't sweat. Whenever this comes out, if you're listening, just go lend a follow yeah. and check well, the project out. And if you're in New York, come to the yeah. show because we're do- literally going to do it. That's awesome. Um, well, let me ask you this then, because Brent Raybould is a comic who bets on himself. He came out with that special. Why not release this on YouTube? Again, I'm ignorant to how much it costs to make a movie. But why not same. put yourself in said debt, debt that you did not occur in college via your father, put yourself in the red, and make this movie and bet on yourself that you're going to make this back tenfold. We are. We okay. are. And the, the thing is, the play is the first form of doing that just okay. because plays are way more affordable. Okay. And I also think the fun of doing it in the live comedic format mm-hmm. will be unmistakably what it should be. It's you can doing it as a play is more DIY. Mm-hmm. It costs way less. Plus, as a play, we don't need locations because uh, it'll just be, you know, uh, uh, a black stage. Like, that's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah. People understand, like, 
And what's great about a stage play is the costumes and props can be cheap and who gives a damn. Yeah. You know, no one's coming to look at realistic tunics. Exactly. People are coming for the jokes. So yeah. if you have a cardboard hat, who could give a shit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, see, I saw Phantom of the Opera. I can't tell you what the costumes look like, but I can tell you how awesome the music sounded. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. And that's true. That's what you take yeah. home with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a comedy play, it's the jokes. That's what it's yeah. all about. So, yeah. Um, plus, doing it as a play, uh, I don't know. It just feels like we're in control. Like, we can why wait on a gatekeeper to give us permission to make something we already know and believe is great. Awesome. Just go do it ourselves. And, and it, what's great is we'll be able to like attach, you know, the joy of making art is making art. Yeah. So why not do that? The joy of making art isn't trying to get art made. It's just Mm -hmm. making it. Yeah. And now that we've made that decision of taking the steps to see it, see it through, Mm-hmm. it's it really you know i feel a real sense of excitement and purpose about it and um and it'll be great because you know i get to be one of the leads and that's awesome you know the reality is is why am i one of the leads because i co-wrote the fucking thing <laughs> no one would no one would let me be I, I don't know shit about i don't know fuck about acting but i know the character and i think i can do a good job with him and uh Anyway, so awesome. it's just like it'll just be a really uh, no matter what happens with it, I really hope and believe it could really grab people's attention and resonate with a huge audience if some of the marketing is there. Mm-hmm. But no matter what, I know I'll look back and be so happy I made it, even if three people yeah. come to the show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want to go. You don't want to be lured into the ground regretting never have done the race the movie for the public. So yeah. No, totally agree. Yeah, I, I, I totally want everyone. Yeah. Huh? We, and we, we do plan yeah. on, please do, man. We do plan yeah. on uh, launching the Kickstarter with different, you know, tiers. Nice. One of them being like a certain amount. You can get an MP4 of the show. Like we are going to record it. Yeah. Um, And uh, there'll be tons of things. So nice. please do, man. Put your, your uh, child's college fund on it. <laughs> Absolutely. Mind. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's $300. Um, uh, <laughs> tell, tell me, tell me, tell me like Brett, the marketer, the, all these ideas you come up with, Brett coin, novel, Brett coin, I mean, Brett, you know, Bitcoin for comic novel idea. Come up with Cumrag, send them to Tom Segura, novel idea, doing the naming your special retirement from comedy, which is a marketing tool, whether you really realize that or not. Um, coming up with these different avenues in which you are um, promoting yourself in, in ways that other comics are not. Are you, is that on purpose? Are these just, are you waking up at 3 a.m. going, this is a good idea? Or are you like constantly like watching, like, because like market news or something like that to see like what can i cash in like what's the hot trend i can cash in or what are you you're like the kiss of comics where you're like able to like like come up with these different things that be like before before kiss no one was putting their fucking band on lunch boxes you know what i mean but like that but, but you're also a comic that doesn't sell merch at least at the shows you've done for me you do not sit around do merch you don't hand out qr codes so they can get to your website you pretty much do your act and then you're in the car heading back to wherever you come from but like Tell me, tell me about like this, this marketing aspect that you kind of incorporate into your comedy. 
I hope and I think it's like relatively naturalistic. I think it stems mm-hmm. from thinking of something funny and going, yeah, fuck it, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like Brett retires from comedy, that as a premise came from, I think it would be funny to do yeah. that, not as yeah. a, oh, this would get people out. And then after I thought of it as a funny mm-hmm. idea, I'm like, am I against that it helps get people to a mm-hmm. show? Yeah. No. <laughs> but even doing the Blue Blay stuff, even retiring and doing the Blue Blay, that's a marketing tool because you came out with a jazz album. And I'm not going to spoil the, the the comedy special because I hope everybody who listens to this will watch your special. But like, it is amazing that your jazz special became number 34 on the, on the chart. It did. Listen, I'll say that hey, much about it. But that's another listen. marketing tool because your name's now in a whole different community of people who have no idea. Like maybe people who aren't into comedy but are into jazz are like, who the fuck is this guy kind of thing? Uh, yeah, are, I, I wish I was better at it because I still think that album, I haven't had it, I haven't gotten it out there. Mark my words, Mark. That album will go number one at some point in my comedy <laughs> career. I, I really believe it. I really believe once I get well, well known, and if I, you know, I'm on a late night couch and I pull that album out and I say it was Let's get this to number one. I can kind of see that, you know, I really believe it's going to, I think it's going to be number one. It might not be this Christmas, it might be the next, That's but awesome, it will be man. number one in my lifetime. Um, do it. The ideas just come from trying to think of something funny. And it's like I said, sometimes like funny ideas, those don't mm-hmm. work in stand up, but I could still mm-hmm. do them. And maybe they're slightly comedy performance art type of pieces or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just love doing those too. Cause I mean, I, you know, I love, I've always loved Andy Kaufman. Anytime yeah. I found his stuff, his, I came to a little later, but he is a great reminder that you can do anything you want. Yeah. And I think it's really valuable for comics to think that way too. Like you can just do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, he certainly was unafraid to break boundaries on, what an entertainer could do. He I mean, for did. fuck's sake, he was doing my dream. He was wrestling women. <laughs> That'd be That's the funny. next special. Brett yeah. Rabel wrestles women, women with vitriolic intent. <laughs> I, 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 I've done enough research to know that you've already named your next two specials. So I'm like, and it seems like it's, I know, I know you, I've so, told, yeah, yes, I yes. know. So, you know, now, you guys would book tours together. How did you guys do that? What was your angle to book tours? Because again, you're the more famous brother, but I don't know if your name. Your, but your, I don't know if your name would resonate in some of these backwoods areas. No like, doubt. Oh, no. Yeah. Them. I. Yeah. For sure. I have no delusions on. Don't worry. You don't going to be like. <laughs> you know, you're not that well known. I'm like, yeah, I, I know. Sixty thousand views on YouTube is no. It's nothing to be. It's nothing, but it's not like, you know, that's just a uh, eyeball on the internet that Mm -hmm. how many of those have converted to buying a ticket or following my Instagram and then buying a ticket. Yeah. Um, My, uh, the way we did it was we would book a, a, uh, reach out to a venue, Mm -hmm. say, Hey, can we do a show here? They would say yes. And if they did, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, then start selling tickets and try and market the tickets online ads reddit local mm-hmm. newspapers and you know people may not they may come out they're coming out mostly to see comedy they're not really yeah. coming out to see a brett rabel mm-hmm. um so i think that was like embedded into it is like 
you know, that's what's, what is great about stand-up in some ways is people don't really go, I'm just going to go see music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But they would say, oh, I'm going to go see this band or that singer. But exactly. with comedy, people will go, hey, I'll just go watch comedy. Yeah. Like, and so it's kind of great in that regard because you can sell some tickets, not a shitload. Mm-hmm. But even if you're, you know, you're just a comic, you, people might just say, fuck it, I'll take a chance. And if you have yeah. decent clips online, maybe those can sell some ticks. Um, as someone who book shows myself, I'm going to ask you, who is someone who is more efficient and more um, better at marketing. What have you found to be the best? Know how to sell tickets. That's something you said in an interview. So tell me, what was the best way you, you've seen to, um, to find to sell tickets for a show? What was the best I, I would say uh, having like a clip in the ad of the stand-up itself. Okay. An actual like clip that is like, you know, short, punchy, and good. Mm-hmm. I think rather than just like people can watch a minute and go like first off they can grab them and second mm-hmm. off they could go oh, okay that was very funny yeah fuck it this show is a good deal mm-hmm. i'm not doing anything sure okay. um and i think also having it listed in a lot of places uh can help okay um like i said like posted on reddit or on eventbrite and groupon and okay the other ones nice. um okay because with with enough sales you can cobble together a show and you don't need it yeah. if it, 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 you don't need a ton of sales to have a good show yeah yeah um, now what, yeah that's it is interesting well what price point do you what have you found the best price point to use in order to we would charge profit? yeah yeah in between 10 and 20 i mean okay. sometimes 10 and 15 10 online 15 at the door i would mm-hmm. i mean this is just like a marketing thing yeah it's man but I always th- always charge more at the door and always yeah. in the online thing Absolutely. say you charge more. Like exactly. just because you want to incentivize people clicking mm-hmm. purchase. Correct. Um so I yeah, I mean I, I assume you clearly do that. So yeah. that's I like a twelve dollars. That's for I mean the shows that we run, twelve dollars seems to be the break point that I've hit for for this kind of thing. But we charge twenty at the door as well. So um, yeah. 50 at the door, bitch. Suck it. <laughs> um, um, something that you said that stuck out to me that I thought was very interesting and I agree with is you you said, my comedy outstrips my fame, which I agree with. Your, oh, level, of com- your level of comedy should have... Your, the, the, the jokes you come up with is buying jokes included, Brent Ray Bolbertage from Comedy Special. You should, ha- you should be enough to be headlining a rooms like a helium philadelphia or something like that tell me what is it because i i live in a i live in a city where very few comics make it to new york and the ones that do somehow make it and there's usually with a helping hand like there are people helping hands so tell me like someone like yourself who lives in the city how are you able to get like how are what are you doing to get yourself into places like comedy seller Caroline, comic strip, uh, Broadway. Tell me like some of the things that you're trying to do because you are an excellent comic in a city of other excellent comics. So tell me how this, how this works. Sure. I mean, man, I'm trying to get better at being willing to just put myself out there for so many years. I was the type of person that was like, I need to be beyond ready and perfect mm-hmm. before being seen. And that's not true. You got to be willing to be, that's almost like a safety net for not putting yourself out there. Like, mm-hmm. 
thinking at some future date when you're a perfectly formed entity, then you're ready. But like opportunity begets more opportunity, which begets more ability to improve. Mm -hmm. And um, I think for me, it's like, I have so many mental blocks of like reaching out, asking if I can do someone's Mm -hmm. show Mm -hmm. to maybe like not putting a thing up online Mm -hmm. and trying to move through those and get over those. And for me, like, yeah, I, I certainly personally feel like, oh man, like that, uh, you know, I weirdly don't have a huge, uh, lily pad of success in New York. There's, you know, I'm not at, like the seller or, and I, I, you know, I hope it's not cocky to say, but I know, I think I, I know I'm actually good enough to be in these rooms. I agree. I just have, um, maybe not met the right people or had the right connections and, and, and in a way that's not self-pity. I've also admittedly not put myself out there in the way that that can more likely occur. So for this year, for me, I'm like a more like quote unquote success perspective. Mm -hmm. It's just like about doing the things that I really, really want to do. uh, Not being afraid of putting yourself out there. And I think the things that I really, really want to do, Mm-hmm. I think they could pop off and maybe they'll pop off and that'll lead to bleed to the more excess. I mean, race the movie yeah. to play the, my, in my perfect vision. I'm like, man, this thing, yeah. like, man, I think we're going to sell this script and I would love to do a run of these shows. And yeah. uh, I would love to be this, to be kind of the next, like, you know, like, and it's like an anti Hamilton. Like it's yeah. like, a, <laughs> I think yeah. liberals watch and they don't necessarily feel good about themselves because yeah. they get made fun of too. Yeah. Which no entertainment makes fun of liberals. Yeah. Like really like, cause liberals run entertainment mm-hmm. and I mean, we make fun of conservatives too. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the thing where it's like, it's the point is it's not partisan. Yeah. I, it's not angled like that. It's just comedy. Well, yeah. Um, well, that thing is why your, your clip, is so good it's because maybe this is the success of a political joke maybe this is maybe what we tell other people who want to touch political subjects like gun control abortion uh religion whatever like is that when you do the biden joke you're hitting you're making fun of biden voters and you're making fun if you just went after comparing trump to a mad max car then you would have you know 50 percent of the room laughing hysterically and they'll be like these people are making fun of us right now we're the people that vote for mad max so like but you hit you're you're hitting the punching bag with both fists equally you're not pulling one punch over the other and i think you should make fun of the thing that they would associate as your tribe first even though i don't have one but Mm. you should like that's a way to disarm it is like listen i'm making fun of things that you would make fun of about me yeah so yeah Yeah. clearly you're the one who wouldn't have a sense of humor if that's the case yeah I like that. Make make fun of your tribe first. I'm writing that down. Yeah, and this has been so fun and like I'm glad. Dude, I'm just like so impressed how much like true thought you put into this. I'm sorry you've like thought about and watched so much of my bullshit. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. It was, it, was, it, was, it was it was a big pleasure. It was a big pleasure. Uh, this was awesome. I'm so happy that you agreed to do this. I'm so happy for your time. I know I took a I know I took a two and a half hour chunk of your day. Out oh, of here, dude. Thank I, you so much, man. Dude, I no, you know, man, it really actually means a lot that, uh, you know, you put a lot of thought into this. And uh, speaking of someone who, you know, as you know, pursuing stand up, you can feel insecure about like, am I doing good stuff or mm-hmm. does anyone does anyone even care? And mm-hmm. the fact that you 
put like a lot of thought into it. It really meant a lot to me. And oh, thank you. not only your kind words, but like, yeah, man, like it just feels like, oh, like maybe not so doing so bad if Mark, who did, you know, look at some of my stuff, thinks I'm on a good track. I think you're on a great Because you have good taste. And if you like me, it's because you're a genius. So, um, <laughs> so self-involved. That's all right, man. Well, I appreciate you being on here, man. Hang on. I'm going to stop the recording and I'll say goodbye.